This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Mark Blunden and this is The Leader. London's original one-day travel card made of paper was once the affordable ticket unlocking the capital for the masses. But now, Sadiq Khan's looking at scrapping it after some 40 years' service. Amid financial pressures, Khan's looking to ditch the all-you-can-travel physical paper and magnetic strip tickets as tube, bus and rail passengers move to contactless. But there are concerns that losing the iconic transport pass could see commuters suffering even more financial misery with 60% fare rises even forecast on some routes where the travel card's a rail card add-on. But under plans currently being consulted upon, paper tickets would no longer be accepted at stations, with even tourists from outside the capital expected to use contactless or Oyster cards going forward. It's all part of TfL's post-Covid deal with the government to try and raise up to a billion pounds extra every year after being bailed out during the pandemic. But there's a twist because the Freedom of Information response has revealed travel card use is actually rocketing. So do we need to move with the times or is TfL riding roughshod over one of London's few remaining non-digital services? The Leader podcast is joined by Dr James Fowler, a lecturer in strategy at the University of Essex Business School and author of Strategy and Managed Decline, London Transport 1948-87. to Dr. Fowler, in 2023, who still uses a paper travel card? There's a lot of parallels here with the the, the issue that banks have over checkbooks. Um, what you have is a, a minority of people. You could call them digital refuseniks, perhaps, or people who are just perhaps uncomfortable, maybe, with data. You know, the data gathering that electronic forms of payment uh, allow organisations to do. And my estimation is that the people who are still using them, partly out of habit, you know, partly because they're not so comfortable with, with electronic means, essentially are very similar, I suspect, as a demographic to people who still maintain checkbooks and so on with other, in the other financial areas. In your book research, what did you learn about why the travel card was introduced in the early 80s? It's a very interesting story. To summarise, basically what happens is that Livingston and the GLC cut fares across London by about a third. Um, that's declared, that's challenged legally and declared to be illegal. Fares then rise by 100% 
Um, that then is, is felt to be excessive. And then finally, they're cut again by another 25%. And that all happens in the space of about about 12 months, 12 to 18 months. So there's this sort of crazy roller coaster ride, which has enormous effects on ridership because people you know, literally just don't really understand anymore what it is they're paying for or, or why the fares are shifting around. So I see the travel card or the introduction of the travel card as a, a kind of a response to that. Obviously, the concept of buying a ticket and traveling any Way on the, anywhere on the system has sort of antecedents that goes all the way back to flat fares in the early part of the 20th century. But there's this kind of very short-term turbulence um, that leads to the arrival of the travel card. And I think we're almost 40 years on, aren't we? We're coming up for the anniversary. 22nd of May 83, I think, is when the, the first sort of slightly primitive form of travel card it doesn't do everything that a modern travel card does appears in uh, yeah May, spring 83. And was it all fairly straightforward getting that through in policy terms? Yes, um, I think it was because it, 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 in a sense, it answered everybody's questions. Um, I think it's probably the or addressed everybody's needs. I think will probably be a better way of putting it. So, I think one of the great successes of a of a travel card is that it it deals with competition from the car or it deals with a certain form of competition from the car. So if we step back from this a moment and think about what makes car travel so attractive, it's that if you own a car uh, and you own a set of car keys, um, that set of car keys is a kind of universal access point you just get in your car you start it up and you have access to the entire road system of the uk and one of the problems with public transport travel uh, up until the inception of travel cars is you had to buy an individual ticket for every individual journey and you couldn't just step off a train and onto a bus or this sort of thing where you know, your ticket literally just took you from a to b by one mode and nothing more but a good way of looking at a, a travel card is it's a set of car keys that opens a system to you as a whole. So I think you can I think the tra- the attractions of that I think are self-evident. Um, I think to all the the stakeholders who are involved uh, in in LT at that time. How much travel would you pounds and pence buy in the new zones back in the early 80s? Off the top of my head, I think it started as two zones, which were called City and West End, which were much, much smaller than the, the entire system then, or, or certainly than it is now. And I think it basically gave you 10 pence access to one of those zones or 20p would get you into both zones. But I think roughly City and West End put together were sort of roughly sort of zone one and maybe a little bit of zone two. Um, that's roughly what it bought you. And TfL are in financial trouble post-COVID. How would ditching the travel card look to boost their coffers they're in a pretty difficult situation and i'm going to I can run through what i what i think the challenges essentially are um in in financial terms so i mean the first one is the one you you've alluded to i mean i think it's awkward i suppose to talk about a permanent loss of ridership but we're looking at a, i think a very long-term loss of ridership a structural damage if you will that has been done to the pattern of ridership um a public transport in, in london because of of, of covid and, and lockdown and not only is that a sort of an absolute loss it's also a change to the pattern in which people use the system and that's very important in terms of rolling stock deployment timings and so on and so forth so there's, there's dealing with that there's understanding that um and moving on from it the next issue really is i think they've got it is, is linked to politics so tfl was very lucky i think um in the first 16 years broadly of its existence in that um broadly and it is only broadly the the mayoralty and the the national government were cut up broadly of the same cloth um but tw- since 2016 um 
that hasn't been so. And that has led, I think, to quite significant political frictions, which, whilst not totally absent in the other years, were, were less so. I think it's also interesting that a former uh, a former mayor of London became the prime minister, um, and that, of course, the mayor of London is, in a sense, a kind of a CEO of TfL at the same time. That's quite an interesting dual role that they, they hold. And I think that that's meant that the political relationship has been a lot more thorny um, in the past sort of five to 10 years than it was in the first 15 the last thing I think that relates to this is that in a kind of national context, there is no money. And what's more, events around HS2 and indeed Crossrail, I think, have really done quite significant reputational damage to what I'm just going to call mega projects. Let's go to the ads coming up. What the future holds for paper-powered public transport. Why not hit rate and follow in the meantime? 
Finally, we spoke about the economic damage from COVID. Um, How much were London Transport's finances impacted by war damage from the Blitz? I think there was a certain amount of war damage that was made good. But I think there's a couple of things that strangle the system, really, in those years. The first is the rise of the car. Uh, and the car is really a completely unique challenge, a bit like working from home, but in a, a slightly different form, um, because the car, although obviously it is a mode of transportation, um, it's also a consumer good. It's like a, you're having a television, having a fridge, having a foreign holiday. It has It's prestigious uh, and it's a positional good, I think, really, as much as a utility good. And transport systems in those days didn't really understand how to get to grips with that. So what London Transport tried to do is promote itself and say, oh, look, traveling by London Transport is far more efficient than being in your car, all right, which is which is true. You can carry more people in a bus and so on. But you can't construe a transport debate just in terms of efficiency. Journeys are about ambient factors as well. So they didn't really understand how to compete with the car because the key the car had this sort of consumerist ethos that came with it as well. So it got LT it didn't really understand the nature of its opponent, I think, is probably what what went wrong for it in the, the 60s and 70s. There's much more news and features in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. That's The Leader. We're back on Thursday at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.